Let's all stand to our feet, please. Open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. We are in chapter 15. We started there last week. Luke chapter 15, and we are going to read from verse 11. Luke 15 and verse 11, when you got to say so, I'll wait, I'll wait, still hear pages. Luke 15, verse 11, when you got to say so, there we go, that sounds better. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, and put on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came... Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots? You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Lord, thank you so much for loving us, God. Thank you so much for your mercies that are new every day. Thank you for reminding us of your great grace, and we thank you today because you show us what matters and who matters. And so, Lord, this morning we just ask that you would help us to hear from you what you are saying to your church, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it, that we would embrace the truths that we hear today, and that we would live them out for your glory and for your honor, God. Remove distractions from our minds, Lord God, and we thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. So keep it up until they bring it to you. Uh, it is very important that you have that outline so you can follow along in the introduction. You can take some notes. And as always, my encouragement to you is that you sit down with someone and you share with them what you have been learning on Sundays. This will help you grow in your faith. This will help them grow in their faith. And this is part of what being a disciple is. It is helping other people grow in their faith. I had a, a little conversation and... Uh, um, the topic of discipleship came up and what we want to understand when we think about what it means to be disciple makers, there is two sides to the token of being a disciple maker. There is the one side, which is what we are really focusing on here in this series, which is reaching others with the gospel, which is sharing the truth of the faith with others who don't know Jesus, right? Befriending them, getting to know them and praying for their salvation. So that is the one side of discipleship. But the other side of discipleship is the edification of brothers and sisters. It is not just leading someone to Jesus, but it is helping someone grow in their faith. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be doing both, right? You should be praying for friends, family members, um, co-workers, and things like that who don't know Jesus. You should be seeking ways to engage them and see them come to Christ. And then also, for somebody, you should be helping them grow in their faith. And so I encourage you to use the outline as a tool to help you in that. And so we're continuing on in Luke chapter 15. And we started a series a few weeks ago dealing with whenever necessary, talking about or learning, should I say, about how Jesus evangelized. How did Jesus engage with those who don't know, who, who don't know him, who are unsaved? How does Christ deal with those kind of people? And today we're going to talk about a portion of scripture that many of you uh, are familiar with. And some of your Bibles have different headings, right, when it comes to specific areas. Those headings weren't there originally. Um, the people who translated scriptures and put these Bibles together. They put those headings there to help us to see where separations are in verses. They're not always correct, but in this particular one, in some of your Bibles, it says the parable of the lost son singular. In others of your Bibles, it may something like the prodigal son or something of that nature. What I'm going to tell you is, if it says to you there, the parable of the lost son, I would ask you, you don't have to do this right now, some of you may feel funny about this, but write in your Bible an S right next to that son. So it's not lost son, but it's lost sons. There are two lost sons in this story. It may seem like there's only one lost son, but there are two lost sons. One of them doesn't realize they're lost. He thinks he's found. He thinks he's all good. The other one realizes that he's lost. And so you, you could write in there the son who realized he was lost, right? You could call it that. But it's not just one lost son. It's not a story about one lost son. It's a story about a rebellious son for sure, but there's also another son there. So today, I have entitled this message, Two Lost Sons. And so if you look at your outline there, as we learned last week, Jesus places the highest value upon sinners. The result of a lost person coming to repentance is faith is to repentance and faith is cause for rejoicing in heaven. In both of the stories of the lost coin and of the lost sheep, we saw that there was a party that took place, and the scripture says something in the end of both of those, and it talks about whenever a sinner comes to repentance, that there is rejoicing in the heavens. We understood last week that there is rejoicing, and it's not just anyone rejoicing, but it is literally God who is rejoicing over the repentance and faith of one sinner who comes to faith. I mean, that's a big deal. 
God the Father is said to be rejoicing. Something moves his heart because there is great value to those who are lost. God values his creation, and he goes out of his way in order to reach those who are lost. And so just going back just a little bit, when we look at chapter one, um, chapter 15, verse 1, we remember that it was well, the setting is that Jesus is among what? He's, he's in a place, he is eating, and he is receiving sinners and tax collectors, right? Those, those are the words that we saw. And the Pharisees that were there, they were offended by this, and they were beginning to say, well, he's receiving sinners and tax collectors. There's something wrong with him is what they were saying. And then Jesus, instead of, you know, answering and debating with them, he simply goes into parable mode, and he begins to tell them these parables. He tells them the parable of the lost, she of the lost sheep. And that way they would understand, wait a second, so he's looking at sheep for one. And then the second one, they, they would know what the value of a sheep was. And then the second one, was that of a coin and so they would understand there is value in this coin as well and then Jesus culminates it's like his first point was the sheep the second point was the coin the third point right so repeat after me right like that's what he was doing so check this out right that's what he was saying so his third point was what I want to talk to you about this lost son in particular this one lost son nonetheless you're going to see both lost sons in this parable so Jesus communicates this and the question remains the same in your outline here that we had last Last week, how much value do you place upon a sinner? How much value do you place upon a sinner? I want you to remember last week's point that we learned from Jesus is about human dignity issues. And what we realize is that evangelism is a human dignity issue. Offering the gospel to those in need of salvation is expression of the worth God places upon those he created in his image. Let me say that again. Evangelism is a human dignity issue. You. Offering the gospel to those in need of salvation is an expression of the worth God places upon those he created in his image. See, one of the things that we notice in this story here, and, and, and I'll point it out now, but you'll see it as we walk through this chapter again together. But I want you to realize that the older son did not see the dignity of his younger brother. He didn't see the value. He didn't see the worth. He didn't see how much the younger son, the younger brother mattered because there was a human dignity issue. Because, and we're going to see this in a moment, because of what this younger son did, he now was unworthy to be able to be called a son. He was unworthy to be welcomed back into the house. And so we see that the evangelism that we're talking about is what? It is a human dignity issue. And so think about this this morning. As we recognize God's investment to save sinners, we must invest ourselves in winning them. As we recognize God's investment to save sinners, we must invest ourselves in saving them. What that means is this, is that your life shouldn't just be, you know, just going through the motions, right? Shouldn't just be spinning your wheels. But your life should be one of purpose, should it not? 
You, you have been, listen, I want you to realize this. You have been saved in order to bring the good news of salvation, right? Minister Lewis, he painted that beautiful picture, did he not? The friend jumped in the hole with this guy and was like, let me show you the way out. Why? Because he had some instruction. He had some experience. And so we as well have to realize, man, if you're saved in this place today, think about it. Just think about this for a moment. If you are saved in this place today, Every person that is around you that is not saved, I want you to grasp this. God has placed you in their lives in order to lead them to him. Think about that. You, if you're, now, if you're not saved, I want you to know you're here today because God wants to save you. If you are not following Jesus today and you're hearing this message online, God wants to save you. But he doesn't just want to save you for you. He wants to save you to bring other people into the kingdom. Your life is not a mistake. Your life, you, where you work, where you live, where you play, where, where you do whatever, where you go to school, those are not mistakes. Those are not just by happenstance. God divinely orchestrated for you to be in those places so you could be used by him. That's an awesome thing. You can be used by the Lord. So as we recognize God's investment to save sinners, thinking about what Jesus did on the cross, thinking about the effort that Jesus made in order to come and save a wretch like me and like you in order to do, God did that. And so when we recognize that, what that should do is it should compel us to invest ourselves, to invest our lives in winning them. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, recognize this is more than a story. Recognize this is more than a story. So the first thing we realize, and we talked about this last week, I talked to you about the different, the four different levels, right, of, of, of parables and these stories that Jesus tells. But one thing that we have to realize is that this is more than just a story. It's not just some cute thing that Jesus is doing. And so as with any parable that Jesus tells, there, there is more to this story. There is more than just a story. They, there, are, there, there are lessons that are in there that are meant to reveal something. In this particular one, he is trying to show us something about God and something about his hearers. The story gives us some hard-hitting truth, does it not? It speaks to us. Again, think about the setting. Jesus is there. Tax collectors and sinners are now coming to him. He's receiving them. He's sitting down at the table. We talked about that last week. He's allowing them to sit at the table with him. He is supping with them. He's having conversations with them. He's engaging them. He's ministering truth to them. They're not coming to hear down some watered-down, seeker-friendly message. They're coming to hear the truth of the kingdom. And these Pharisees are looking at Jesus like, man, what's wrong with this guy? He's, he's receiving all of these people. He is welcoming all of these people. And so Jesus shares this parable in order to show us, as he did with the good shepherd, as he showed us with the one sheep that was lost, as he showed us with the woman who looked, who, who searched and, and, and diligently looked for that lost coin, the value that was there. And then Jesus comes to this point. He wants to show something else about this. So let's break this story down. Let's, let's walk through the text together. So beginning in verse 11, and I'm going to pause at certain moments just to point out a few things but here it is it says then he said Jesus speaking obviously here a certain man had two sons 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So I need you to understand the weight of this, right? First of all, I want you to think about the community that these believers lived in. Have you ever driven by houses, and I don't know, maybe you live in one of the a house that is like this close to the neighbor? You ever been in one of the, like those neighborhoods, right? Like, I mean, you're like, like, like you literally, like you look out your window, right, and you can see into the other person's, you know, like there, what they're, you, you know what they're eating for dinner, glory to God. You, you could almost smell it. Right, I mean, if the windows open, right? So, so ultimately, right? This is this. Is, I mean, that's close proximity. I want you to know that's nothing in comparison to back in the times when Jesus is speaking. Those communities, you know, a lot of times when we picture this story, we may think of some big, you know, rich, you know, rich guy with some big house, and he has some great big inheritance or something like that. And that's not really the way that the story is supposed to be. As a matter of fact, the streets were so tight at that time, and the reason why they lived this way is for protection, because they had to be close to each other, and that way they would be able to come together in case the enemy was coming. But but the streets were so tight that when a camel would walk through the through the through the streets, the camel's sides would literally touch the houses, right? So, you know, you're thinking about a street probably about this wide, right? Something like that. It's, 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 it's really narrow, small streets. You know what that means? Everybody knows your business. <laughs> Everybody knows every conversation that is happening to you, right? Everything that's going on is none of this, you know, unless you're like whispering, right? But, but if you're having a regular conversation, guess what? Everybody knows what's going on. This is, this is one of those types of communities. That's the way they lived. And so when this young man comes and tells his dad, dad, I want the inheritance you have for me, you know what he is saying? This is the equivalent of him saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Now, just let that sink in for a moment. Because you normally get an inheritance when, 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 you, when, when you know, someone dies, right? That's when you get the inheritance, right? You, you get the inheritance when someone passes away. And so it's the same thing in that time. And so this son was literally saying, dad, I want you to die. I would rather you be dead. And what does the father do? The father goes on ahead and he gives him his inheritance. He lets him well, go, go away and taking the inheritance. And the scripture goes on to say, so he divided, he divided to them, say them. I want you to notice, he didn't just divide it to the younger son, he divided the inheritance at that moment. He has two sons. And so the elder son is going to get what, what, what is his, and the younger son is going to get what is his. So at that moment, they have both received their inheritance, right? They're both getting their inheritance. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. Now, why did he have to leave? Because he insulted his father. And so the community rules would be, listen, this child has disrespected you as a father. You have got to leave this community. You cannot stay here. You can't get your inheritance and stay within our community. You have got to go. And so the scripture shows us that he left after a few days altogether. And then what? He journeyed to a far country and there he invested his money. Hmm. <laughs> he went to a far place and he doubled what his daddy had given him, right? He saved his money. He, no, 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 it doesn't say that. It says there wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful, pointless living. And it says, but when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And so that should obviously give us some idea, right? We don't ever know what's going to happen. So we can't be just spending everything like we're crazy. It says, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So I want you to notice again, what is this man doing? This man, and, and the idea, this would be, I mean, it doesn't say that this was a Jewish boy, 
But Jesus is Jewish. He is speaking to Jewish people. And so the context would give you to believe that he's talking about a Jewish boy. Now, let me ask you a question. How many, how many people know, or, or, or here's the thing, how many of you know that um, Jewish people did not eat pigs? Are you here? They have a kosher diet. So you know what that means? This man is out there, and he's painting a picture. This guy is doing something that no Jewish boy would do. No Jewish man would do that. But not only that, think about how, how degrading this is. He was in such a bad place that he didn't care about his kosher diet. He wasn't wanting to eat the pigs. He wanted to eat the food of the pigs. My guy was hurting. Are you here? He was in a bad place. He was, I mean, this guy was wrecked. And so he's there, and he's, he's experiencing all of this, and it goes on. I love what it says here. It says, but when he came to himself, right, when his mind got right, he was like, hold on a second here. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. So notice two things here, because number one, he recognizes the goodness of his father. You hear that? He recognizes the goodness of his father. He is a servant where he is right now. And nobody is giving him anything. In other words, he's working for every single thing he gets. And obviously, he is not getting much because he wants to eat the pig's food. And he realizes while he is there under that master that, man, my daddy is a good dad. My dad has servants that have bread and some. They're not just over there have some bread. They don't just, they have more than enough. He says, hold on a second, this ain't right. And so he goes on and, he's, and, and he says, I will go to my father. <clears throat> he said, I'll rise, I'll go to my father and I will say, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So notice he has a change of mind, does he not? He has a change of heart. And that causes him to do what? That causes him to turn around. It causes him to go back to the place where he came from. He goes back. This is what repentance actually looks like. But look at what happens here in the second part of verse 20. It says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Remember the party that the guy brought when he, had, when he brought his sheep home? Remember that party? Remember the party that the woman with the coin had? Well, check it out. Daddy's doing the same thing. He's throwing a party. He went and got the fatted calf. He went and got like that calf that they've been waiting all year to eat. Are you here? He went and got that calf. He went and got that calf. That, that one they all look at like, man, we can't wait to the feast, right? And now there's time for the feast. He goes in and he tells his servants, why does he do this? Why does he do this? Because remember what I just said, they live in close proximity, do they not? There are certain rules for the community, is there not? And so what the father does is the father is protecting his son because he is what? I mean, you got to think about this. The father is hopeful because he sees him a, far, a way off. That means that daddy was probably in the getting up every day saying, man, I hope my son comes home. 
looking for his son. I hope my son comes home. I, you know, I don't even care what my son is doing. I don't care what he's got going on in his life. I, I'm hoping my son comes home. And he sees him a long way. And I want you to notice something because here's the thing. In that culture, men, of, 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 you know, men did not run. Are you here? Because you know what that meant? That meant, see, back they didn't have pants, they didn't have shorts, they didn't have, you know, stuff like that. They had a robe that they were wearing, right? You know what they had to do with the robe? They had to pull the robe up, they had to put it around their waist, and guess what they showed? They showed their legs. You know what men didn't do? They didn't show their legs. Hello. It was embarrassing, right, for whatever the reason was. And this daddy grabbed this robe, put it around his waist, and he ran to his son. He didn't wait for his son to come to him. See, the, the, the dignified thing would have been like, all right, you know, you know, that's how we are a lot of times. We want someone to come apologize to us. And so we wait for them to come to us and humble themselves before us. No, you know what daddy did? Daddy humbled himself. Daddy pulled up his robe and he ran to his son, fell on his son's neck, kissed his son, and then he told his servants, servants, go get me clothing for my son. Go get me a ring of authority for my son. Go get me some sandals for his feet. My son is a mess right now, but I need to make him know that he is welcome, he is accepted, and I want him to come back home. I'm restoring my son. See, that's the beauty of this story is that this father goes and humbles himself for a son that was rebellious, was disrespectful, said, Daddy, I wish you're dead. I hate you. Like, I mean, that's the kind of stuff he was saying. I mean, hurtful, y'all. That's what he did. The father runs to go and get his son. Surprise, surprise, surprise. That's what I see here. The father ran to his son. The father forgave. It was like the father didn't even hear what the son said, right? He's like, he didn't, the, the father didn't even answer him. Father, I, I've sinned. He didn't, he didn't say, yes, son, I know. I told you, no, I told you not to go. He, he didn't do none of that, right? He didn't throw anything in his son's face. That wasn't what he did. He said, come here, son. I just want to love you. That's all I want to do. The father forgave his son. And you know what the father did? He, he, he went to the next level. He didn't just run to him. He didn't just forgive him. He didn't just clothe him. He's like, yo, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a party that you are home. And so we go on in the story. It says, now his older son was in the field, so he wasn't there, obviously. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. It must have been loud, y'all, you know? Like, like, like everybody in the town was there, right? Like they were all just having a party over this child that had come home, or this son, this man that had come home. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry <laughs> and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Surprise. Instead of the father yelling at this oldest son, instead of the father degrading this oldest son, instead of the father putting him in his place, what does the father do? Again, the father humbles himself. He pleads with him. He says, son, your brother, he's home. Son, come inside. Celebrate with us. Again, that's something that one of the fathers in that time wouldn't do. He says, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, listen to this son. This is why I tell you, he's lost too. He just don't realize it. Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. In other words, you didn't let me have a party of my own. Hello. You wouldn't give me to celebrate with my friends and go and have a party, you know, just, to, just for no reason. 
But as soon as this son of yours, look at his attitude. Remember I said human dignity? But as soon as this son of yours, you know, so, you know parents, you know how that is, right? You're, you're, it's your child until they act up. Then it's your child. And that's how it happens in our house. I'm like, yeah, that's your daughter. That's your son. Hello. Right? <laughs> Why do we do that? Because they acted up. That ain't me. They got that gene from you. Hello. <laughs> they acting crazy now. I'm, I'm good, right? So anyway, this son comes in there, and he's like, yo, that son of yours. Just the wrong spirit, is it not? The wrong heart, the wrong mind that this brother has. And he goes on, and he, and he takes it to the next level. He says, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf. I want you to notice this is the first time we hear harlots in the story. Up until this point, it was just prodigal living. It was just real blanket, like genuine, right? Not genuine, but it was real generic, real general, right? No, no, no. This brother's like, yo, he was with harlots, right? This guy, he's, he's making sure this brother looks bad. I love what the father does. And he says to him, his father says to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Here's what we see. The selfish, self-righteous older brother was bitter when he should have been rejoicing. And surprise again, because instead of the father laying the smack down on him, the father pled with him, and the father called him in. But I want you to hear these words, because these words are so very important for us. In verse 32, he says, It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Why is this so important? I want you to notice in this story two times Jesus repeats this. The first time he says this about his brother being dead or my son being dead was when he was talking to his servants. He said he was dead and now is alive, right? Because what? Because we learned this, right? We learned this when we were going through the book of Romans. The word dead doesn't mean that you are completely dead and no longer existing. Dead means you are separated from something. Now, this is important for us, church. Why is it so important? Because when we are talking about salvation and we're talking about being dead, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The only example that we have of what the Bible means or, the, or a connection to what the scriptures mean about someone being dead is right here in this story as it deals with salvation. And so what he is saying here, Jesus is saying, this guy was dead. The father is saying, my son was dead. He was separated from me. He was gone. The the life that I have for him, he was separated from it. But now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. See, this is the beauty of God's grace. The beauty of God's mercy. See, the message that Jesus was communicating was what? What was he saying here? What he was saying is he was saying God, the Father, is merciful and gracious to rebellious, ungrateful, self-righteous sinners. You hear that? God the Father, that's what the gospel message is, that we're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, that we're all rebels, we're all dishonoring to God. All of us are separated from him because of our sins, and yet what does he do? He reaches out to us in love. He reaches out to us in love, not in some little way like, hey, shoot me a text. No, 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 uh-uh. In the most extravagant way, he reaches out to us in love by coming as a sacrificial lamb, dying in our place, and welcoming us home into a relationship with him. That's the beauty of the Father. 
But not only does he talk about the beauty of the Father, but he also lets us know that each person who is a main character in this story, each of the sons, they are both sinners in their own right. They both had issues. The second thing, I'll ask you to repeat after me. I want you to know the first point is the longest one today because I want us to walk through the text. I hope it helps you to understand a little bit more about what this story of the two lost sons is about. The second thing I should repeat after me, say this, say, embrace your place in the story. Remember, this is not just some cute story here. And, and as we walk through the story, I want you to think about this. Who are you in the story? Who are you? There's three main characters in the story. There is the father who we know is represent, who is representing God. And then there are two sons. There is the, the prodigal son, which is the younger son. And then there is the prideful son, which is the older son. So which one are you? Which, which one of those characters in the story are you? See, here's the thing. We know that the first character in the story represents God. However, can I ask you something, church? Can we grow in becoming merciful and gracious like the Father was? Should we not be growing in our graciousness towards others? Should we not be growing in our love, our mercy toward others? The younger son, he was the son that was lost in his prodigal or wasteful living. Is that you? Is that you? Are you living in a way that you are wasting your life? Maybe, maybe you're not wasting your life with the prodigal living. You're not out there getting drunk, getting high and with prostitutes or sexual immorality. Maybe you're just living a life that doesn't bring glory to God. Maybe you're just living a life that you are wasting your life. You're not living for God's glory the way that he calls you to. Maybe you're wasting your life on relationships that don't matter. Maybe you're wasting your life on goals that don't matter. I don't know. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are that prodigal son that is far away from God. Or maybe you're the older son, the prideful son. Is that you? You're, you're judgy? Yeah. I had a conversation with a, with, a, with a young man. He came to our house to work on something, and before he left, I was like, hey, so let me ask you, man, you go to church? And he was like, well, haven't gone to church in a long time, and he began to explain to me, you know, he kind of was, you know, caught, caught, you know, he like took a breath and didn't know what to say, and, I, and, I, and I'm like, I put you on the spot, didn't I? I asked him why, and he was like, well, say, you know, I grew up in church, I went to private school, and he's like, but, you know, I just feel like Christians are judgy. I said, Okay. So I, I, I wasn't going to go into parable mode with him, right? I was like, let me just, you know, let me hear him out. And he, and he, you know, he began to explain, you know, some things. And I was like, well, hey, man. And he's like, so why do you ask? I said, oh, well, because I'm a pastor. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> what church? And I'm like, well, you know, that's on the church. Gave him a card to come and, you know, visit and stuff like that, you know, and, and talk to him about our, you know, our Forge Men's Bible study that we have. And so the, the, the point is that he, he experienced some of that elder brother stuff. We'll talk about that in a moment. But is that you? Like you're judgy, self-righteous, self-reliant, selfish. You don't have compassion. Like I don't know, is that you? Is it, are you uncaring? I mean, that's what this older brother was. It's just so religiously perfect, right? Like you're so religiously holy. Like, like I mean, like you don't ever break God's laws. You don't ever sin against the Lord. Hmm. That is funny, but nonetheless... There are some that feel that way about themselves. You see, the fact is this, and I want you to grasp this, is that we all have some of each son in us. You see, all of us have that part in our hearts that wants to go away from God, want to do our own thing. And it can be in what we would call little things. Nonetheless, that doesn't change the reality that we all want to run and do our own thing. We want to do it our way. That's all of us. 
And then there's all of us, you know, we all have this little bit of pride in us, especially when we get things right. Come on now. Especially when it seems like our life's right and, and like we're living a holy life. And, and here's the thing. We have to hear this. Remember what I said about that father? How he, he got himself undignified, pulled up his, his robe around his waist, tied it around his waist, showed his legs off, ran to his son. He pled with the other one, right? That's such a humiliating thing that the father did. You have to hear in the gospel God's relentless call where God humbled himself. God didn't have to do anything that he did in Christ, and yet he did it. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, learn from Jesus through the story. Learn from Jesus through the story. The whole point of this, of, of this series is so we can learn how Jesus evangelized. And so I'll be quick as I go through this. But again, I want us to go back to verse 1. Remember, it says that tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus because they wanted to hear him. The Pharisees were, were, were speaking in a way that was dishonorable to Jesus. And so what do we learn from Jesus? In this, in, this, in this story, the first thing is, if you're taking notes, we learn to take these stories into our hearts. The first thing is we read a parable. When we look at what Jesus is communicating, we need to learn to take this into our hearts. It's not just a story that's cute or for us to retell to someone else. It's for us to evaluate ourselves, to look at where we are, to look at who we are, to look at who God says we are and how we should be. See, again, I'll say this. We must be gracious and passionate about the dead coming to life and the lost being found. See, that's what Jesus was talking about. When he was talking to these Pharisees, he said, man, you guys don't care about people coming from death to life. You guys want to keep pushing people that are unclean, that are unholy, that are not like you away instead of calling them to the life that God offers them. The second thing is this, is who is the God I reveal? Who is the God I reveal? See, you're, you're gonna, you, you know this, and I know this. People will probably never see God directly, but can I tell you something? Everybody sees the God in you. Whether they recognize it or not, they're seeing the God in you every single day. The way you live, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you treat people, the way that you are, the way that you share the gospel, the way that you share your story, the way that you are, people are seeing God in you. The question is, what do you believe about God? Because here's the truth. The truth is, what you believe about God is the picture you're going to paint of God. You hear that? What you believe about God is the picture you are going to paint of God. And so here's the thing. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. That means that, listen, you can't just get to God and make God happy by your own standards, by your own ways. But we also know God is merciful. God is loving. God is gracious. God is kind. And God has made a way so anyone can come to him. That's what we know about him. That's how we should be living. The third thing is celebration and kingdom. Celebration and kingdom. In all three of these stories, we notice that there was a party going on. It tells me that God likes parties. Hello, somebody. God wants us to celebrate, right? Minister Eric's son, he got married this week, this weekend. Uh, his oldest son, that's a big deal, man. I mean, that's, you know, amazing, right? But there was a celebration that was there. Why was the celebration so great? Can I tell you why the celebration is so great? The celebration is so great. I had the privilege to actually do premarital counseling with his son and his now wife. But sitting down there, it is because God has made this blessing of marriage possible. 
Because the blessing in this marriage is God's hand, the mercy that God shows. So when we come together and we celebrate weddings, when we come together and we celebrate the birth of children, when we come together and we even celebrate someone's death, there's a story that as I was reading through this and, and the guy was talking about um, someone that he was sharing with, the, 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 the person had a specific disease, I can't remember what it was called, but it makes your bones really, really brittle. And so it gets to a point where you can cough and you can break a rib. Just terrible, terrible pain, a terrible situation. And as the, as the gentleman is getting older and he's had this disease for such a amount of, long amount of time, he's bedridden, he's in, a, you know, he's, he's in his wheelchair, got to be pushed around. The pastor is actually sitting down with him having conversations about his funeral. Think about that. And as he's thinking about his funeral, he tells the pastor, he says, listen, pastor, he said, I want this funeral to be more like a wedding than a funeral. He said, I want this church to be filled with flowers. I want, I want the music, the songs we sing to be about the rejoicing that we have in God's presence. Why? Because in death or in life, guess what we're doing? We're celebrating the mercy of God. When the, when the funeral time came, the, the, the house was filled with flowers. It was bright, brilliant. It wasn't sad and, 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 and low music. And people were like, what's going on here? What's going on is that this guy that has been suffering for all of these years in pain and agony, he's now no longer suffering. He's now in the presence of Almighty God, rejoicing, doing backflips maybe, saying glory to God. That's why we rejoice, church. Can I tell you something? The greatest time of rejoicing Hear me when I say this, is when we gather here to worship God. See, we worship a God that welcomes in those who are hurting. We worship a God that welcomed us in. See, some of y'all didn't hurt like I was hurting, but I know how he welcomed me in. I know where I was at when he welcomed me into the house. I know where I was at where he invited me to the table. I know what I was like. I know the sin that had me bound and the deception that I was in church. When we gather together, that is the God we're worshiping, the God that loves us, the God that cares, the God that shows compassion and mercy, the God that welcomes us. That's why we worship him. The kingdom and celebration, they go hand in hand. The other thing we see here is we learn about patience and humiliation. Patience and humility. The father shows patience. The father shows humility. Who's the hero of the story? It's the father. See, what I want you to know is this, is that the father had a choice. Did he not? The father could have simply said, nah, son, you got to go. The father could have made him grovel. It doesn't, it indicates to us that the father didn't make him a servant. The father made him a son. The father had a choice. He was, he was written off. He, was, he knew his son was dead. And yet when his son came home, the father chose him. The father chose mercy. The father chose patience. The father chose humility. And the last thing is we got to learn about this older or older brother or older sister syndrome. Hello. <sighs> it's that unrighteous heart, man. It's that heart of judgment, that church we cannot have. We can't have the heart the older brother had. Seeing people that come, I mean, you know, we've had conversations about what our gatherings are about. Is it about us? Is it about us? Is it about you? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, it's funny. I won't say who, but, you know, this morning, and I hate, I hate I, I, you know, I have to point this out, right? Someone's like, yeah, I got to talk to someone about being in my seat. They're joking. It's a joke, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, see, that's a joke. Some people, they're dead serious. Yo, that's my seat. What's up? I told y'all before, switch seats. Move around, glory. Confuse me, you know? Because right now I can tell where y'all are sitting. Because y'all sit in the same spot almost every week, man. That's your seat, right? And then you get mad. You walk up in here, you know, a couple minutes later than normal. Someone's going to say, like, what's up with that, man? And you, you feel that for like a few minutes. 
You like going through something emotionally, right? Like, well, what's up with this, man? What? They don't know this is my sea. Glory to God, right? <laughs> Listen, the reality is this, is that we cannot have that older brother attitude, right? If, here's what I tell you. Our gatherings are not about us. They're not about us. If you, if you don't think so, please do me a favor. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's my homework assignment for you today. Go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and watch what the Apostle Paul talks about when he talks about our gatherings and how he, even in those times, is talking about when a non-believer comes in. His concern is not so much for you and your spirituality and how you felt in a service. He's more concerned with an unbeliever who comes in the doors and what? That they experience a conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they are called to repentance and that they know that God was in the building. That's what Paul's concern is. Go read it if you don't believe me, and you can wrestle with God on that. But here's my closing question for you. What changes, what changes must happen in you to increase your effectiveness in reaching those who are far from Christ? I want you to think about that. What changes need to happen in you to increase your effectiveness in reaching those who are far from Christ? Just bow your heads right where you're at. What changes? I want you to think about that. Let the Holy Spirit show you what changes need to happen in me in order for me to be more effective in reaching those who are far from Christ. Church, we're not here for ourselves. The mission field is full. Sinners are plentiful. And God has called you, he's called me, to be a light that shines in the midst of this world. So what is hindering the light from shining through you more brightly? Father, we humble our hearts before you today. And as we think about these truths, we recognize that you truly are the hero of the story. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for attitudes, for actions, or the lack thereof for our lack of concern for those who don't know you. Father, today, may you awaken in our hearts a greater passion for those who need you. I thank you for this, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise.